Well, thank you to Tina and the team for leading us so well this morning. We are continuing in the Gospel of Luke. This is our 16th sermon, and the sermon's entitled Signs of the End today. And we are, in fact, uh, going to talk about uh, the end when Jesus comes back. But I want to begin this morning by talking about the importance of signs. Road signs are really important, aren't they? Uh, there's a story of the Illinois State Trooper. He was parked on the side of the road waiting to catch speeding drivers. And he's looking at his radar and he's watching the cars. And most of them are a little bit above or a little bit below the speed limit. Traffic seems to be moving well. And he's watching, watching. And all of a sudden he sees one car and it is puttering along. And it's going so slow. And he looks at his radar and it's doing 22 miles an hour. And people are honking, and they're swerving around this slow poke. And so he goes, you know what? This is as dangerous as a speeding driver, so I'm going to need to pull this car over. So on come the lights, and he pulls out, pulls the car over, and rolls to a stop behind this. And as he's walking up, he notices there are five elderly ladies in the car. And the driver seems okay, but the other four ladies look totally traumatized and shell-shocked. And uh, so he goes up and he knocks on the window and she rolls it down and he says, hello, ladies. He goes, I just wanted to let you know that in fact you were doing 22 miles an hour. And the driver looks a little confused and says, well, officer, I really don't understand what the problem is because that's what the sign says, 22. So I was doing 22 miles an hour. And he kind of suppresses a chuckle, and then he, he kind of says, well, ma'am, actually, that's the route sign. You're on route 22. That's, that's not the speed limit. Oh, and she's a little bit embarrassed, and she says, well, thank you. Thanks for, for correcting my mistake. And he goes, so just to be clear, speed limit is 55 miles an hour. Uh, you, you can do that. That'll be great. Keep it through around that. And, uh, and he says, just, just before I go... I just need to know, is everyone else in this car okay? You, you all look a bit scared, a little bit traumatized. And the driver pipes up and says, oh, they'll be fine. We just got off Route 127. <laughs> signs are important. But being able to understand the signs correctly is incredibly important. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples today in Luke chapter 21. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Luke 21. Start the app on your smartphone or follow along on the screen. Now, this is a long section. We're going from verse 5 to verse uh, 38. So we're not going to read 33 verses this morning, but we are going to kind of give you a highlight. We're going to skim over some of them. And I've asked Dan uh, to read for me this morning. So we're going to begin... In Luke 21, uh, and the first section we're going to read is verses 5 to 13. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adored with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to take place. He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, 
and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprising, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. He said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. How dreadful it will be uh, in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against these people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and and perplexity at roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint with terror, apprehension of what apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Thank you, Dan. On first reading, this is one incredibly confusing chapter. In preparing for this sermon, it took me four readings of those verses and consulting two commentaries before I finally understood there's actually two different events, two timelines, two two different points in history in view here. That's why I've entitled the first point, The Two Horizons. The whole discussion begins with Jesus' disciples commenting on the structure and the beauty of the temple in Jerusalem. And they are there a lot. They're seeing it day after day. Jesus is spending a lot of time teaching the people in the temple. And so Jesus essentially has a BTW moment here. By the way, boys, don't get too attached to this temple and how beautiful it is because in the near future it's going to be destroyed. Luke 21, 6 says, For what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And the disciples' reaction is essentially, What? Jesus, when is this going to happen? And from that point until verse 24, Jesus focuses on the first horizon, the awful time at the end of the Jewish war when General Tiberius and the Roman army come in and absolutely crush the city of Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and kill almost one million people. This first horizon took place in A.D. 70. And that's when Jesus describes it. And he says, how awful those days will be. And he says, get out of the city. Flee. Get out. And then in verse 25, it switches. And the second 
horizon comes into view. The end of all history, the climactic moment when Jesus will come back in glory and power, and every person on earth, every nation under the sun will come face to face with the risen Jesus. Let me read verse 20, or let Dan read again, verse 25 to 28 for us again. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And once we begin to see that there are two time periods, two horizons in view here, then the whole thing makes so much more sense. Katrina has done up an awesome slide for us. We've got Peter, the Apostle Peter, as a stick figure there. And he's standing there listening to these words of Jesus in A.D. 33. And not many years down the road in A.D. 70, Jesus describing the destruction of the temple, And then at some future point, and we don't know when that is, Jesus is in fact coming back. And at that point, all of the followers of Christ will be resurrected to live forever with him, and Jesus will judge the world. Every injustice, crime, atrocity in history will be set right. And now that we have the big picture straight, Now that we understand there's two time periods in view here, we can move to the relevant in-between time. So my second point's entitled, How Disciples Behave in Desperate Times. When you read history, followers of Jesus down through the ages have regularly had to go through extremely awful times of persecution. Jesus tells us in verses 17 to 19, what he expects of his followers in the midst of desperate times. And there's four things that Jesus requires of us as his followers, as his disciples. First thing Jesus tells us is don't be deceived by false saviors. It says in Luke 21.8, he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow him. And there have been so many of these. I picked a couple weird ones from history. There was a a lady named Anne Lee. She lived in 1736 to 1784. And she was the central uh, person in the Shaker religious movement. And she was absolutely convinced that she embodied all the perfections of God in female form and considered herself to be Christ's female counterpart. And people worshipped her as a god. Pretty weird stuff. And then there's Sun Myung Moon, who uh, just passed away in 2012. He was 82, born in 1920. 92, actually. And he was founder of the, and leader of the Unification Church, established in Seoul, South Korea. And his followers have become known as Moonies. And they were absolutely convinced that Sun Myung Moon was the Messiah, and the second coming of Christ. And he was anointed to fill, fulfill Jesus' unfinished mission. Now, those are just two weirdos from history. 
And most of us aren't influenced or swayed by bizarre cult leaders, but there are other, more subtle false saviors that we are susceptible to. The one that a lot of people trust in is simply their money. They've made it, they've earned it themselves, and they figure that is what they're going to trust in. For other people, maybe it's not money, maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's that brand new uh, romantic relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc. Anything we put our trust in apart from Jesus has the potential to turn into a false Messiah. So Jesus says, be aware of them. Don't fall for it. Be aware. Second thing Jesus tells us, they essentially don't despair. God is still in control. Luke 21.9, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. When I was preparing it this week, I thought, you know what? This one's extremely relevant for us in 2018. We hear about so many things that are potential disasters. Think about the environmental problems in our world, from climate change to the trash circles in the Pacific Ocean, declining fish stocks, disappearing animal and plant species, killer strains of viruses, bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics, the political realm is just as concerning as the natural one. Donald Trump to our south, making bizarre declarations, picking fights with North Korea. Countries like Syria, Myanmar, and South Sudan are war zones. It is tempting, even for those of us who follow Jesus every day, to start to get overwhelmed, to despair. But Jesus reminds us that God is still in control. Number three, Jesus says he encourages us to courageously give testimony in his strength and the strength and wisdom of Christ. Now, it may be in our lives that we are called upon to stand up and give testimony to Christ in some kind of intense, life-threatening, crazy situation. But it's far more likely that we'll be called to explain why we believe in and follow Jesus to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, who are skeptical or even mildly hostile. I love what Jesus says here, Luke 21, 13 to 15. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I'll give you your words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. What a promise. That's amazing. That means that when you get challenged at work and someone has, brings up all these things. Well, how could God let little kids suffer? How could, how could God allow evil in the world? There's an amazing promise. Jesus says, in those moments, through my power, if you rely on me, I will give you the words to say. Incredible promise. Finally, Jesus tells us to stand firm. Luke 21, 17 to 19. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. I was thinking a little bit this week about the pressures that our high school and college students face. And sometimes this last command of Jesus to stand firm is actually one of the hardest. When it seems like everyone at school is yelling that Christians are narrow-minded bigots or are homophobic or that we are 
self-righteous and out of touch and out of date, in those times feels really difficult to stand firm. Standing firm in the midst of our current culture, at least in my experience, involves continually speaking and acting in ways that show love and welcome, and at the same time, saying that God actually has a standard for life. He has a great blueprint for life, and that God knows what he's talking about. And when we're challenged, we can rely on things like the teachings of Jesus, the Ten Commandments, to kind of be that moral course through the dissolving morals of our current culture. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's not a popular thing to do. But it's what we're called to do. Continually be loving and welcoming and non-judgmental. And at the same time, declare the truth of what God has for us. Well, now we're going to move to our third and final point. And it's simply entitled, Knowing the Future Changes Us Now. And always in sermons here at Ocean View Community Church, application is paramount. Sermons, in my view, should never just be about learning facts and kind of filling up your head with knowledge. It's always should be applicable to our lives in the here and now. In Lady Smith in 2018, Daryl Bach, the scholar that I've quoted throughout this Luke series, has a great paragraph on the application of Jesus' teaching about these signs. He says, Jesus gives an exhortation growing out of all his teaching. The disciples are to take heed, not to get careless about the second coming. He says, hearts weighed down refers to insensitive hearts. One can take a careless attitude about Jesus' return and give oneself over to carousing, excessive drink, undue concern for the cares of this life. The day will reveal God's judgment. Jesus' point is to be ready for it so as not to be left out. Here's the most important sense. The end's reality should call one to live prepared for the end by being faithful to God. And that is the key faithfulness, faithful living for God. Now, we've all seen the extremes of being overly obsessed with the end of the world. And that's not cool. It just kind of makes you look weird, part of the lunatic fringe. Everyone dismisses you. Maybe you're a couple cards short of a full deck. Now, there are lots of Christians that I've come across in my time in church work that would fall into this category. They are so busy speculating about the end of the world and who the Antichrist will be, that years go by. And they actually don't do what God is calling them to do each and every day. Love God, love others, and serve those around them. They are too busy to do that. They're too busy to feed the hungry, care for the poorest of the poor in the third world. They're too busy to serve their community. And they would often say to me, well, I can't do that. Don't you know we're living in the end times? Jesus could come back tomorrow. I saw a t-shirt recently, and I think it was meant in a mocking way, but it kind of has a kernel of truth. Jesus is coming. Look busy. (laughs) Now, it's probably better phrased, Jesus is coming, so get busy. It's actually not even that, really. We don't have to be stressed out and crazy busy for Jesus But we should be living faithfully, as Daryl Bach says. 
faithful doing what? Well, just like our vision says, says, love God, love others, and serve the world. There's a story of the great church reformer Martin Luther. And someone came up to him once and said, Martin Luther, what would you do if you knew the world was ending tomorrow? If Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? Luther didn't hesitate. This is what he said. I would plant an apple tree this afternoon. And what he meant by that is that he wasn't really given to speculation about the ending of the world. He was focused rather on the end of the world, the goal, the purpose for which the world God intends. Luther would plant an apple tree today even though the world may be ending tomorrow because he believed that what may happen in the future does not excuse you from what God requires of you in the here and now. Faithful living for him. Well, we started this sermon with some elderly ladies that couldn't understand the signs of the road. And it is my prayer that all of us will walk away from this sermon today with a desire to see the signs, be aware of the end, take confidence in the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. He's got history in control. And that confidence should lead us to living faithful lives for Him each and every day. That's the kind of intentional conviction that will see our community impacted with the gospel. Amen? Ryan, please come and pray for us.